0: Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I've been thinking a lot recently about what drew me here to Richmond Hill six years ago. God's call for sure and an opportunity to be a part of an amazing ministry of healing, of spiritual development, racial reconciliation, and hospitality. I don't know exactly, I didn't know exactly then what all that would entail, but it was compelling. I knew that God calls us to a radical way of life involving sacrifice and trust, and I wanted to be a part of that here. I saw something unique and amazing going on. Living in community is impossible to fully appreciate unless you've had a chance to do it yourself. <laughs> Many of us know that in this room. It's countercultural for sure, radically different from the way that I lived my life up until about five and a half years ago. And I want to say that I'm grateful for the chance to have experienced it with you, Deborah, with Richard and Mary Lou, with Anthony. Victoria, and Kristen, and Pam, who's not with us this evening. And Tony Martin, who lived here a few years ago, was here when I arrived. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be a part of this with you. It's been a remarkable experience. Our text for today speaks to the uniqueness of the God-centered life, the God-centered life of those chosen to live the way of Christ. And initially, it may sound very different from life at Richmond Hill, but I want to say that it's really not. One is monastic and the other nomadic, but the commitments are amazingly similar and good reminders for any of us seeking to follow Jesus today. The other night, the residents watched the film Nomadland together. Have any of you seen that? It's a very interesting film. I'd commend it to you. We had pizza, and we sat in the lounge together, and we projected the film up on the wall. I found it to be a rather sad story, but it was pointed out in a discussion that we had afterwards that it really represents all of our lives in in a certain way, because it, it speaks of the journey that we're all on. It was also suggested that the film serves as a social commentary on the disparities in income and opportunities in this country. If you haven't seen it, I won't give it away other than to say that the main character, Fern, has lost everything in the Great Recession, her job, her home, even her husband, and she ends up living out of a van for more than a year. In the process, she meets up eventually with a whole community of people living out of their vans, doing the same thing. And what they offer one another is salvific. The story reminds me of this text. In Nomadland, those living out of their vans are living an alternative lifestyle. They are on the road, camping out, settling for a while in one area until they're no longer welcome there, and then they move along. Many of them are shunned by their families back home and misunderstood. They appear to be misfits by the dominant culture But who's to say that the dominant culture has it right? You could easily argue that American culture today is deplete of true community, that people all around are starved for friendship and family and meaning in a world that offers very little of any of it. And maybe it wasn't so different in Jesus' day. Jesus offers another way. He's aware, God's aware that the world is in need of deep healing and that relationships of every kind with neighbor, with family, friend, and foe, with oneself, with the planet and all of God's creation have been fragmented and are in need of reconciling. Jesus spoke of a kingdom or a kingdom in which everyone gets along and that all know the love and grace of God. But when Jesus spoke this good news in his own hometown, the response was, who does he think he is? On one hand, the people recognized his wisdom, but on the other, his words and actions were dismissed. After all, they said, he's just a carpenter. We know his family. Who is he to come along among us as if he were somebody? But he is somebody. In the words of Marjorie Sakaki, he is somebody who can make us all into somebodies. Somebodies who can stand together before God in commitment to God's own kingdom of caring and love, strengthened by God's grace toward implementation of that very kingdom. But the message is rejected by those who hear it in his hometown, dismissed because of what? Jealousy, incredulity, That someone they have always known dares to speak things to them as if they had to learn? Who knows what prompted this rejection? I remember learning in Community Trust Building Fellowship here at Richmond Hill a couple of years ago that people don't really fear change. What they fear is loss. Perhaps they sensed that they were going to have to give up something to receive the life that Jesus spoke of. Little did they know the kingdom life outshines anything that this world has to offer. Jesus was a prophet who shared the good news that God's love is at hand, that all are welcome, that forgiveness is available, that each of us are loved and cared for just as we are, that those we count as enemies are also loved by God, who makes the sun to shine and rain to fall on everyone. The same God teaches us that compassion matters more than competition, that love heals all wounds, and that the broken things in this world can be made whole. In a way, it sounds simple and too good to be true. That must be what Jesus' friends and family thought, and so they they dismissed him. A prophet is not welcome in his or her own hometown. A prophet speaks the truth before it's fully known or understood, and that can be frightening. Walter Brueggemann says that the task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. The prophet helps people wake up and begin to see what God sees. Another way to say this is that prophetic ministry is about repentance or a change of perception, enabling others to see with new eyes. It's about seeing that the love of God is indeed at hand and among us right now. This is the mission of Christ and the mission that we're called to as well, to help the world see differently and know of God's grace and mercy. Jesus sent the disciples out two by two to share that good news with everyone. There are four things that I want to mention about that sending forth that that are found in this text that I think are important for us to remember today. The first is that Jesus recommends that we travel lightly. Jesus sent the disciples out and asked them to take nothing with them no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. Not even a change of clothes. Not much is needed when our task is simply to tell others that they're loved. In fact, our things can often get in the way of what's most important. Here at Richmond Hill, we're given a couple rooms to live in. We share one kitchen. We make a commitment to live our lives without excess. It's challenging at times but made easier because we're doing it together and we have our basic needs provided. Jesus expected the same for those who went out two by two, that they'd have each other and that what they needed for the journey would be given. Which leads me to the second element of the text for us to consider today. Jesus invites each of us to be a guest. The disciples were told to receive the hospitality of others. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. They needn't carry bread or bag or money, but Jesus expected others to receive them and provide for them. It wouldn't happen every time, but enough for their survival and so that they could continue their ministry. We all know that hospitality is one of the pillars of the ministry here at Richmond Hill. It's a main part of the responsibility that goes with those of us who live here. We offer hospitality to others. In keeping with the rule of Benedict, we are to treat whoever comes to the door as if we are welcoming Christ in our midst. But our ability to do that, to be available when the doorbell rings, to be free to respond is because so many others many of you in this room, have offered hospitality to us first by providing for our room and board. The generous gift of donors enable us to have lights that work when we turn them on and food in the fridge when we're hungry. We couldn't do it without that support. The hospitality provided to us frees us to tend to our guests and to be available to come here to the chapel three times a day, unencumbered, to pray. Jesus makes it clear that receiving hospitality is as important as offering it to others. Hospitality begets hospitality. The third important thing from this text that I want to point out today is our need to shake off rejection. If any place will not welcome you, Jesus says, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. There's no need to confront or argue or get tangled up in disagreement. Jesus simply says, move on. There's an expectation conveyed here that when we share the good news and even more once we live our lives as if God really matters, we're going to experience rejection. We're going to experience struggle. Jesus certainly did. We too might not be welcomed in our own hometowns, but we're reminded to stay true to God. Our rule of life here at Richmond Hill calls that stability. And though we often think of stability as staying put in one place for a long time, what Jesus has in mind is much more than that. He's speaking of stability of the heart. The disciples, when rejected, are not to stay put but to remain true to the good news of God's unending love and find the next place that the message will be received with open arms. Stability here is more about fidelity to God's love no matter what and that happens in a variety of ways and circumstances. As Kristen and I prepare to leave Richmond Hill in a few days, The awareness that stability is something that we can take with us is helpful. We can maintain stability of heart wherever we go, strengthened by the experience of living and working here with all of you. In that sense, we take you with us. Stability keeps us rooted together in Christ, no matter where we are. Finally, at the heart of Jesus' prophetic ministry is healing. And those who follow him are meant to bring healing to the world as he did. Even in his hometown where he was not welcomed, he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he sent out the disciples asking that they cast out many demons, anoint the sick with oil and cure them. This world is so desperately in need of rescue. This city cries out today, for continued healing and we are here to offer that and to be a part of God's restorative work right now so whether we're on the move or we're staying put let us live simply let us accept the support of others so that we can do the good work of reconciliation let us shake off rejection when others don't understand our call and let us bring healing at every turn Jesus calls us in and sends us out to share the good news with the world, to cast out the demons of injustice, and to pour healing oil on the sick. Ours is an alternative lifestyle intended to help others see and experience that God's love is real and God's love is at hand. May it be so. Amen. Amen.